Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we continue our conversation with Stephen Parry on changing the way you change. If you missed our previous episodes, we suggest you listen to them first. And now, a little bit of information about Stephen. He is the founder and senior partner at the Sense and Adapt Academy. They help create lean and agile enterprises through long-term, high-performing change teams that focus on customer centricity while building appealing work environments and culture. He is the author of Sense and Respond, The Journey to Customer Purpose, and is recognized as a world-class expert and multi-award winning transformation leader. Let's all welcome Stephen Perry to our Agile Tales. Hi Stephen, thank you for being in another episode of our Agile Tales. We'll continue our chat about changing the way we change. This time I'd like to start with measurement. How do you measure the change in sense and adapt companies? What is the right metric? I know you mentioned quite a few in the previous episode. Do you mind reiterating and summarizing them? Yes, this is not a simple question to ask because this is not a straightforward question. There are some rules of thumbs and I can give you a few of those. And the reason for that is every business is different. And it really depends on the type of business that you are running. If you are running a business a bit on factory principles where you want to get as much time and activity out of the people, you would measure their occupation and their time. If you want to get the most out of the time that people are putting in, you would measure how much time they're actually on the job and what they produced. And they'd make an equation around that because they are maximizing your utility, your time. And that's not a bad model. It served us well for years. But the the issue with that is if the job is highly variable and you use that approach, then it becomes difficult to, to compare people with other people. And this is where all this measurement starts getting a little unstuck because most businesses want to compare people. And you would compare things at a much lower level that doesn't talk about the value, but how much work you did. Not necessarily whether that work was the right work or whether you did it well. And if somebody took more time to do the work because they had more knowledge and they investigated a bit deeper, they might look worse in somebody who doesn't know as much as the other person and can then rush it through. So it becomes very problematic. And I much rather think about the adaptive business is about adding value to the customer in almost every transaction. So I don't believe in transactional targets. I I much believe in you stay on the work for as long as it takes to fix it. As long as you have the knowledge and the other resources and the tools to do that. Now, the advantages of continuing to do the work until it's completed is you're not interrupted because sometimes some of the problems, you have to get deep into them, hold all these threads together. But if you have a clock on you, you might find some way of getting to wrap up the customer if he's on the phone or on a chat or even face to face in many cases you might be tempted to wrap that up and come back to it another day. 
by which time you've lost all the knowledge and the thread. So you have to redo half of that work again. And that becomes very inefficient. So I would much rather think about how long you, you stay on a job is the right length of time to get it done making sure that the person who's doing it has the right skills, the right training, and is not bombarded with being pulled off to go and do something else. Now, that sounds like motherhood and apple pie to many people, but it is counterintuitive because you don't get the work coming back as incomplete for somebody else to do that. And then the customer says, oh, I've already been through this with JF. He asked me all these questions and he seemed to be going in a different direction to you. What are you up to? And it, it just then creates distrust with a customer because somebody else is analyzing your problem using a slightly different thought process. They might have come up with the same end result, but they might have gone there a different way because we all have our own way of, of figuring things out. So that said, that, that's a big issue with measurement. And measurement becomes an issue when you're thinking about the cost and you're thinking about how do I compare people with other people. So let's talk about what we're trying to measure. In an adaptive organization, instead of just trying to produce as much work as you can in the shortest amount of time, even if that comes back in and somebody else has to fix it again, well, that's somebody else's problem. Okay, you are not measured on that. And sometimes it's not easy to make the connection on this first bit of work that you did and the customer coming back again. So it might come back with a slightly different way of explaining it. So it's not that easy. And I much rather see on the, the first contact with you, if you like, with the client or the customer that you manage to sort out as much as you can until obviously there is a barrier. Just think about Kanban. You pick it up, you take it as far as you can, unless there's a blocker. I have to get more information. The other person has to get more information. And most businesses would then stop the clock. Well, in an adaptive organization, I would not stop the clock because it's the total elapsed time. And if the customer has to go away and get something, the clock should still be running. And it's 24 hours a day, not stopping and starting within the service time. Because what you really want to know is any given problem that the customer has is how long did it take from the initial problem being raised to when it was finally finished and the clock is running completely. So then when you analyze the work, you can say, all right, why did we get to this point that the customer had to go off and get more information? And every time we get this type of work, we always ask the customer to go off and get, let's put something in our process and our procedure that says, we need to ask up front for these things. And then because you know how this is likely to go, you can say that immediately or give an instruction to a customer before they start talking to you. Because the whole point here is optimizing the time that the customer has to deal with you. Because while they're dealing with you, they're not doing the job that they are paid for within their company. So you are stealing the productivity time of your customer. This is why I have big problems with self-help. Customers come through. They don't have the knowledge. They spend hours going through things. And self-help is self-serving which means it doesn't serve the customer, it serves the business. So now instead of you sorting it out, 
well, you've got the customer trying to be an expert and making things worse. And I think it's a bit of a cheek to expect that your customer is in your production process, your problem-solving process. You're stealing their time. You're probably making things worse and you're not learning that much. So it's very difficult in complex businesses where the work is highly variable and there's a whole variety of work as well. So you've got variety of all the different things and each of those even within the same variety, are highly variable because they're more complex. So understanding the nature of that work and sorting that out is really a big job for anybody in an adaptive organization to really deeply understand what's going on for the customer and are we achieving the customer's actual goal. So the issue on comparing people is you can only do that when People are doing exactly the same work with exactly the same skills, with really great processes that never fail. And in my experience, that never happens. So it becomes a bit of a lottery of who does what on any particular day. And it doesn't average out. This this thing about if you measure your business using averages, don't be surprised you're an average company because the customer experiences the range One day it's fixed in one minute, another day it takes 20 minutes, exactly the same call, because there are other confounding issues. And I think it's in some ways against human rights, could be argued that you are not comparing like for like for people, and you are making judgment about bonuses and promotions on quite random data. But it feels like you're in control and it's not, which is why I want, when I measure it, how long does it take from the customer raising the issue and the customer's problem was solved? That's really what you're looking at because you don't count all that time. Because in lean, waiting time is one of the biggest wastes. So you want to reduce your waiting time. For all the inherent problems that brings in, but it you then see the games that people say, oh, we don't we don't count that time because the customer had to go and get some information. Okay. So because the customer didn't have the information you needed at the time you wanted it, you penalize the customer. So that when you run a report, oh, you did okay, but it was a customer was too dumb to see what the information was beforehand. So you stop the clock on him. So you get a disconnect from the customer's experience and what your stats are saying. We are back into melon measurement, where your measures are green on the outside, but the customer's seeing red on the inside. And that's not good. So let's actually talk about some of the clients. When you first walk in, you realize that they're going the wrong direction. I mean, measuring the wrong things, had the wrong structure, Let's talk more about that. Can you expand more about what that means? Like, what do you mean by going the wrong direction? What do they measure that is wrong and what should they measure instead? And having uh, wrong structures, well, how do they get the right structure? Let me answer that about the measurement. There is no wrong measurement. Let's just get that straight. It's what you make the measurement mean and what you do with it, that often goes awry. 
So if you are looking at a very complex environment, huge variety of different types of work and individual varieties of that work vary enormously, then the traditional measurement of if it's a factory would actually be the wrong thing because the nature of the work and how you work on it should determine what's the best way of of measuring it. But if it's simple, it's a widget, and you've got people trained to the lowest possible level, and they're skilled, then yes, you could measure that. It really depends on the nature of the work and what you're trying to do, what you're trying to create for the customer. So therefore, it's always contextual and situational. So if you're on a factory model, and it's very simple, then there's nothing wrong with the measurements that we talked about earlier on. Absolutely nothing. But if you're into those highly complex problem-solving situation in, say, infrastructure management and, and all of those things, then comparing people's call time, for instance, that's counterproductive because people will learn how to manipulate that and distort your data. But you don't learn about how your business really performs. And as I said, it's the range of the performance in the complex business that matters because that's directly proportional to the customer experience. If you measure your business using averages and not include the range, then you are missing all the information for improvement. Because let me give it, it's a really simple, simple maths problem. And I do this in a lot of the training that I do. There's lots of CEOs, CFOs, and other managers. And, and I just put up a graph and I say, look, there's a 90% SLA on this, but the range is different. One, the range goes from, say, 85 to 95, and the average is on 90 but the other one has got a range going from 70 to 100% with an average of 90, say. So I simply asked, okay, the first company on the short range on average is making exactly the same performance as the other one with the long range. So I'm asking them, which of these companies would you now give a contract to to deliver your service? And you will be surprised how many people go for the one that does 70 and the one that does the 100%. And it's because, and when I ask them, why is that? Because we meet 100%. And then I said, but very often it's down here. So this concept of this range is, I am flabbergasted when I see managers putting their hands up for that. And it's only afterwards that you do that. But they wouldn't know that. They would say, well, they're equal if they didn't have the range. They're absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then if you wanted to move the SLA up to, say, 95, which business is more capable of doing that? The one with a range from 100 to 70 or the one with a range from 85 to 95? Well, they could move it up because there is more predictability. And this is good old quality thinking that most managers have not thought about when it comes to the numbers. And that's why I came up with a saying, if you measure your business using averages, you're likely to have an average performing company because you've thrown away the information that tells you how you're really performing. And when I'm talking to people, I'll, I'll ask them to bring in their operational reports. And they're all, all averages, average, average, average. And they meet the average target. And they compare one department's average SLA to somebody else's. And they say, well, I'm better than yours. 
And then what they do is say, well, their average is a little bit higher, but their range is really wide, but they are treated as being better. And the ones where the range is low is told to go and sit with the other people with the long range and learn how to do it. Guess what? <laughs> you know, spiraling down instead of spiraling out. I know it's, this is so simple, but you'd be surprised how many organizations do not do that. And I say to everybody, whatever you're measuring, measure the range, because that's your client's experience, because that's what they feel. Wow, Stephen, you're definitely talking to the math geek in me, looking at those stats. Let's take a different tact here. So with Sense and Adapt for these kinds of companies, is there a place for annual corporate planning? I think there, there is, because you need to know generally what your thrust is. Now, it depends on what you mean by corporate planning, because there's loads of things that could be in that. I tend to look at corporate planning from the point of view in an adaptive organization. It's very, very important that you measure your differentiator in the market, because it is not just about my competitive position. Because if I'm competing on cost, everybody is competing on cost. So it's not a differentiator unless it's the actual cost amount, which today is getting smaller and smaller. So you can't compete on costs now like you used to, but you can compete on differentiation. And so when you talk about corporate planning and you introduce, how are we going to differentiate? Well, the reason we are differentiating is because we want to use our customers to pull us away from our competition by giving them something that nobody else does. And this is why the customer purpose and the common purpose conversation was very important because differentiation gives you market share. It gives you, you can charge a premium because you're first to market with it. Okay, and then you can capture it and you can satisfy more customers and retain more customers. If you're doing that and continually doing that, you are making more revenue and the jobs of the people are more secure. You're less likely to send it to a low cost labor economy because you've gone up the level of value that you're creating and not commoditizing your own business. So when it talks about corporate planning, that would be one of the mainstays of the corporate plan. Then you have to think about, well, how do I do that? How do I find out that information? How do I identify these niches before my competitors do? How can I find something that exploits that? We are now into the realm of what I call the sense and adapt business dynamics. Rather than competing on low margin, high volumes, I'm looking at high margins and low volumes with the extra time. I'm rewarding people in my reward and recognition system for solving customers' problems and finding something unique to go to market with again, instead of how many units of busy, busy, bang, bang stuff I did a day. So these questions that we get are usually coming out of that traditional world of the model that we're asking people to do, which is the factory type model. But in the model that I'm talking about is we are upskilling people. We are smarting up people with the technologies, not dumbing them down to make it cheaper. In fact, the dumb down work is ripe for automation. And if you can get your business people to automate the low level work, that's great. 
but you don't, if they are finding new ways of revenue for you and then getting rid of the easy work by automation, if you like, or even removing it entirely, you don't get rid of that workforce. You wouldn't look for offshore low-cost labor economy because upskilling and smarting up people to do this adaptive work requires a lot more intellect. And you want to hang on to those people. So this becomes a really important thought in your strategy and your corporate planning for what you're going to do with your workforce. So I'm now linking, is there, a, is there a question about corporate planning? And yes, but I also suspect, JF, there's another reason that you asked me, is there a need for this corporate planning? And it comes out of the Agile movement, which says we need to iterate it, we need to keep going this way and all that. And that's fine when you're experimenting with that. That is how I achieve the objective of moving from a manufacturing type mentality to a sense and adapt. You have to have that as a strategic goal. Now, how you do it, how you differentiate, that is a different question. But you've got to have some corporate planning to say we are shifting from this way of operating and the dynamics that we have to a much more prosperous one, which is going through an age of turmoil and change. We're in this tornado of change and all these wonderful things that we can use. And we have a much more educated workforce than ever before. And we should use those skills and intellect with the right technologies to create wealth and a secure future by making people feel like giving willing contribution to do the hard work. I totally agree with you. And yes, the question has a couple of faults in them. Where the question comes out of what people's perception is of the, the manufacturing model, they can't see any way to change that or get out of it. It's only good if the products and services that you are delivering are not going to change that much. But in the world where we're living now, your business models are changing. The technology is changing. Workforce expectations are changing. You can't command and control creativity or willing contribution. You're absolutely right. Yes, there's definitely corporate planning, but it's not the definition of how the traditional companies defined it or how to do it. If they want to change, of course they need to plan. So now I have to ask, <laughs> what is the most disappointing change that you have worked on and why? I have to be careful how I answer this because I don't want to embarrass anybody who might know what I'm talking about or the company that I'm talking about. I will tell you, it was a large organization. It was in the tech industry, several thousand people. We did this work and we got people engaged, willing contribution. And they identified about 40% of the work time and energy that staff and managers were putting in was quite unnecessary. For the reasons that we spoke about uh, a few moments ago about the measurement, and that measurement was disguising the fact that work was not being completed. So it was self-generating. If I go back to something I said in the first podcast is we need to be looking, 
instead of investing in fixing the tires, we need to be investing in fixing the roads, which in IT terms is the infrastructure. All incidents are potentially avoidable. But if you treat everything as an incident, then you're into what's my cost per incident so I get some more. So if I take the tire fixing analogy of fixing the tires because they're punctures instead of fixing the road. Well, if you go and fix the road, but you're being measured on how to fix the tires, you know where to throw glass on the road. So therefore your measurement makes you look even better. So your cost per fix goes up. Your first time fix goes up. In, in a sense, in that world, those measures drive in the wrong direction. The first time fix in my world goes down. Why? Because we fixed the road. So now what we are left with are the tires, which are more complex to fix. So my time to fix is increasing, not reducing, because they're more complicated. I got rid of the easy stuff. So you can see that traditional measurement was locking in cost, productivity, and creativity. So you're then having to talk about, well, what is it about the road that you are supplying caused by us and not treated as normal that's causing the problem? Sometimes this is an unkind description of technical help desks, but I think it, it punches home. Most technical help desks are dealing with predictable failures, but because they measured and gold on that, they don't look at that because of all the measurement that I, that I talked about. And in reality, it's been described unfairly because I know these people are doing brilliant jobs under difficult conditions, and they're not even allowed to go and investigate that because that's probably a tier three person who's got the brain the size of a planet that should be fixing that. And in my mind, that's why you should be on the front line, not the four layers back. But anyway, that's another story. Help desks are often described as the drip tray in the bottom of the oven, catching the mess of all the cooking that's gone wrong above. And that's sad, but it is predictable. And you imagine you will get picking up all this mess. And, and it's serious because that's costly because you've now got to clean it up. It's another version of fixing the tires and fixing the road, which I tend to use that more often. But it is sad. And then you get people saying, well, look at the cost of fixing these tires. We can send this work off to, I don't know, Eastern Europe or Far East and get the tire fixing done cheaper. Look at the jobs that go. I'm interested in securing jobs, securing wealth, creating differentiation, identifying niches earlier and using the intelligence of our managers and our staff to do that and beat the pants off the competition. That's it for our episode. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Stephen Perry on changing the way you change.